Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. I want to talk to you about good fruit, bad fruit, continue on that, but today I want to talk about what is the root of bad fruit? What is the root of bad fruit? Now, when I was growing up, uh, there were times in my life where I had growth spurts. And uh, when that happened, my mother would say to me when my pants would, you know, do one of these, I look like Urkel. You know, when my pants would do one of those, she said, oh, those are in style now. And back in those days, way back then, they'd call them clam diggers. Because if you're going out to dig clams, you'd pull up. Anyway, not that I ever dug clams. But I'd say, well, that's weird. But, but worse than that, you know what she'd say? Somebody'd say, oh, my goodness, your, your boys are growing so tall. And she'd say, she'd point at me in particular, she'd say, he's growing faster than a bad weed. And when you're a young boy, you don't think about that until you actually start having to weed. And then you realize that weeds are something people don't want in their gardens. Why? Because they take over. You ever notice that? They can take over, so you're constantly weeding your garden. And as I was weeding the garden, I started to think, wait a minute, why was I being compared to a bad weed? Why didn't my mother say, Yes, he's growing like an oak tree or stock of corn or something, something positive. And I thought, you know, why is it we say things sometimes that go in the wrong direction? And as I realized this, I thought, wow, maybe I am a bad weed. Maybe I wasn't so good. Or why was that a negative and not a positive? And it was just a common saying. Did anybody hear that saying? Growing like a weed, growing like a bad weed, just growing. Uh, have you ever been compared to a weed? Never been compared to a weed? What have you been compared to? Maybe an older brother or sister? See, I had an older brother who was academically very smart, never studied. Pulled off 90s all the time, never opened a book. So when I went to school right after him, and they saw I had the same last name, they expected the same. But I was not an academic. As a matter of fact, I'd spend hours and hours studying, and if I got a 60, it was a good day back in those days, you know? A 50 is still a pass, I believe, right? Okay, so 51, you've made it. 49, you haven't. And so, I, you know, they'd say, oh, how come you don't do as good as your brother? You get compared to others, and you feel less than. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Were you ever the older brother or sister? Were you the one who led the way? Why are you like that? And so there's this comparison, and sometimes you start to think you're not quite the person you should be. And then on top of that, people might start to say things about you, and you can act or react. You see it on Facebook or message or a text or somewhere out there, and it's a negative and not a positive. And if you're already struggling, you're, you're, you're in that place of trying to sort out what is the difference. And I thought, why do we do this? Why do we say negative things? In a Canadian culture and society, are we optimistic or pessimistic? As a society, we're pessimistic as a society. We're sarcastic as a society. And so those words come out that are not always positive, but can be rather negative. And they come out in all kinds of forms and actions. And I thought, you know, if I look at fruit in my life or your life, if the fruit is good, what should it look like? And if it's bad, what should it look like? But more than that, where does the root of this come from? Why are we the way we are when we react the way we do? And there's all kinds of reasons for that, but there's a root for the bad fruit. And all of us struggle from time to time. All of us could write down comments we have made or even thoughts we have had that are not 
on the positive side. They do not lift up. They're not saying something that perhaps you'd say, if that person was there, would I say it to their face? If they're in the other room, I might say it. Or if I can put it on text or someplace, I might say it. They call it bullying. And it goes on in our schools, correct? Yeah. Was anybody here ever bullied? I was bullied. Yeah, by my older brother. And one day, he, uh, before I got bigger, I was almost born bigger, but uh, one day he, he put me over the railing on the second floor of our parents' house and held onto my feet till my mother came. And thankfully, she rescued me. And uh, neither one of us could sit down for a couple days, let's put it that way. Somehow, I got in trouble just as much as he did because I was there, you know, and uh, so that's a bit of bullying, and you're sort of innocent. But, but some say, you know, if you say something of a negative nature or whatever, you're a prejudice and you're not accepting people today, you're judging. Still others say that you're harboring things in your own heart you've never dealt with, you've never dealt with a root maybe of bitterness or unforgiveness. Or you say, well, it has to do with my past. I was raised a certain way. I was taught this certain way. Therefore, I react this certain way. And sometimes the reaction is bad fruit. And you say, where does that come from? Well, God speaks about it, and he talks about one area of our lives over and over again in Scripture, and it's our hearts. That is the area that God is always dealing with in our lives. Every single one of us here, he is dealing some form or fashion with our hearts, the deepest place of our seed of our emotions, our feelings, even sometimes what we think, or what we might do or say. And he calls us to have a different kind of heart as a follower of Christ. He calls us to have a new heart and a broken heart and a contrite heart before him. Psalm 51.7, David wrote this after he had been caught in adultery with Bathsheba, after Nathan the prophet had come to him. And the Bible, the only place in all of Scripture that it says that this man had a, man, a heart after God is David. He's the only one in all of Scripture it says that he had a heart after God. That's the only place it'll show up. And here's this man who had that kind of heart for God, just like all of us say we have a heart for God. And yet he committed this horrific, horrific sin, had her husband killed, tried to cover it up. The child born to them dies. And then David writes this psalm. And it's a reflection about his heart. And in the midst of all of this, he says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And in First Chronicles 28, 9, For the Lord searches every heart. Say every heart. So whose heart is that? Mine. Every heart. He searches every heart. And then it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is when Samuel was trying to pick someone from the family of Jesse, and he ended up with David. And he was looking at all these big, handsome, strong men, and he said, God's saying, no, 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 there's got to be one more. Where's the one more? Oh, the shepherd boy, because he had a heart after God. And so the Lord looks at our heart, folks. And I thought, why is there so many scriptures? And there are all kinds. You just have to jump into a concordance or go Google about uh, what does the scripture say about our hearts, and you will be overwhelmed with a number of scriptures. Because God speaks about this over and over and over again, and he wants to deal with the depth of this place of us that can produce bad fruit. And so that root of our heart has to be dealt with. Jesus, when he was walking on this earth, his first message was a Sermon on the Mount, right? That was really his first message. And if you follow through on the Sermon on the Mount, there's so many things that he teaches us there. But one that stood out is in, in Luke 6, 43 to 45. And Jesus said this. He said, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Makes sense. A tree is identified by the kind of fruit it produces. Figs never grow on thorn bushes, grapes on bramble bushes. A good person produces good deeds. From where? From where? A good heart. And an evil person produces evil deeds. From where? An evil heart. 
Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. If you say something nasty about your spouse, it comes from your heart. If you say something nasty about where you work or go to school, it comes from your heart. And so Jesus knows this, and he's trying to help us change. Matthew 12, 34b says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Scripture tells us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And God is very clear about this when it comes to our hearts. And so the root of our heart can harbor so many things that God wants to deal with because otherwise it manifests in ways that are not healthy for us or for people around us. Because that's what happens. And I want to tell you today, if I am not willing to let the Holy Spirit work on my heart, then I am resisting the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says that is sin. So I'm either willing to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my heart or not. And even this morning, last night I didn't sleep much because God was dealing with my heart. And when I went for a walk with a dog, he spoke to me. I needed to go to April and ask for forgiveness about something. And so this morning I said, honey, can we talk? Because it was in my heart and I wanted to deal with it. That's how we're to live every day. And yet there's some things that can be harbored there. And uh, my heart in the past at times has been so full of things that are not pleasing to God. The root was bad, and it overflowed. And I said things and did things at times that were very sinful and very wrong before the Lord. And so here's just six. I just found six that I want to talk about, six things that are, are connected to the roots of our lives in our heart that can produce bad fruit. The first one is bitter or bitterness. Bitter or bitterness. And Deuteronomy 32, 32 says, For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom. Think about Sodom. And from the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes of poison, their clusters are bitter. And God is speaking this to his people because they have a free will. How many of us have a free will? So we all have a free will. What does free will mean? You can do anything I want. Yeah, I have freedom of choice, right? In our country, do we value this? Yeah, so individually and corporately, we value a free will. But the problem sometimes with the free will, it can get us in trouble. And here we have a perfect example of this. Because these people at that time in the history of that nation were just starting to get on their way. And they were doing something by, by basically blaspheming and not pleasing the Lord, the rock of their foundation. But rather they said, we know how to do this and do it our own way. I thought, how many times have I been guilty of doing it my own way instead of God's ways? How many times have you stopped and said, God, what would you have me to do here? And it's the verses, let's do this and then invite God in. Wouldn't it be better to see what God is doing, as it's been said many times, and join him? But these people said, we're going to do it our way. And the more they did it their own way, the worse it got. And they became bitter. Their roots became bitter. Recently, I sat down with two men. Two men are good friends of mine. Neither one of them are going to church. And I asked them, I said, are you back in fellowship? Because the Bible says, do not forsake the coming together in fellowship. And I asked them, I said, why aren't you back at church? And the more I listened to them, you know what I heard? I heard bitterness. The church had hurt them. Well, who hasn't been hurt by the church? Uh, there's a song that we sing, and uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, except when they hurt me and despise me and do things to me. Other than that, I'm cool. Is that how the song goes? No, it talks about the family of God because we have this wonderful relationship. But sometimes in a family, things aren't being worked out the way they should be. Do you agree? My brothers and I didn't always get along. I didn't always agree with my parents' decisions. Sometimes I rebelled against those decisions. And sometimes in the church, things don't work out the way 
I think they should, and if I don't think they should go that way and something happens to me, I can develop a heart full of bitterness. And that's what happened to these people. They developed this root in their heart of bitterness. As a matter of fact, in the in the Hebrews 12, 15, it tells us, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So if I'm walking around with any kind of bitterness in my heart, if I'm walking around with that in my life, then Scripture says that there's something majorly wrong with me in the sense of that bitter root is going to grow. It's not going to be idle. It's going to grow. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to say things. I'm going to do things. And it's going to cause trouble. And it will defile many people. That's my problem sometimes when I read Facebook or message and I see some of the things on there. It's a defiling thing. Not always. A lot of it's really good and birthdays and people take pictures of their cat and that's a nice cat, you know, stuff like that. Um, and you do that, that's fine. But, but I'm just saying, be careful. The second thing is this natural fallen nature. Oh, my goodness. And it's during the time of the prophet Isaiah that God's judgment was on Jerusalem and Judah. Why? They defied the glory. presence of the living God and they disobeyed. They sinned. They did not follow his commandments. Their hearts had turned away because of their stubborn rebellion and they hardened their hearts towards God. And in the midst of this fallen state, they think God will still bless them. Now, listen to me, church. If you think God is going to bless you when you're walking in sin, forget it. It's not going to happen. Say, Lord, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? Well, sometimes, not always, sometimes we're living a lifestyle outside of it. I had a guy come to me one time and say, I know God spoke to me. I'm supposed to divorce my wife. I said, which God? The devil? Yourself? Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand my situation. Fill me in. Maybe I can help. I don't need to come to you, though, because God said divorce. I said, well, now back it up in here. Show me something in here that would agree with what you're saying. Because does God ever go against his word? Yes or no? God never goes against his word. In other words, we need to know the word. And so we had quite a conversation, and he went ahead and did it anyway. And then that fell apart. Sad. This fruit in us can be bad when we have this heart to follow the sinful nature, the old man. Tells us in Isaiah 5, 2, during this time, he being Israel dug it up and cleared the stones and planted it with the choices of vines. In other words, they're working hard. They're trying to do their best. They build the watchtower. They make a wine press. Then he looks for a crop of good grapes, but it yield only bad fruit. Because they were not following the Lord their God. They did all that hard work. They built everything. They did the best job they could do. But in the end of the day, the crop comes from God's mighty hand, and it was bad. Why? Because they were not following him. Our natural fallen nature is a bad root that will, at the end of the day, produce bad and not good fruit, without a doubt. No matter how much we do in the natural, no matter how much you go to psychiatrists or you go to counselors and, and so on and so on and so on, there's nothing wrong with that. But if your lifestyle isn't willing to change, if you're still following the old nature and you're letting your heart lead you, then you're not going to find any good fruit at the end of the day. It's going to continue to be bad fruit. No matter how much we do, what we need is the salvation of Jesus Christ. What we need is Jesus in our lives every single day to let him deal with this stuff that I would humbly walk before my God in brokenness. And thank you, Lord, you deal with the fallen nature. The third thing is selfishness. Now, this is interesting because Howard, where are you, Howard? You talked about this, not knowing what the Lord had put in my heart. And when you were just sharing that, I went, oh, 
Hallelujah. Selfishness. Now, you will disagree with me. And some of you may even send something to me now. I'm okay with it. Every one of us in this room is selfish. I know I am. I know when I go to get a burger, I want it selfishly my way. And you say, well, that's just a normal thing. Well, let's go deeper. When the Lord asks us to give sacrificially, are we selfless or selfish? When the Lord asks you to open up your wallet, let's say, because this is the part that we don't like, when the Lord says, open up your wallet and give sacrificially, and I've seen this church do it. Do you remember when there was that lady with her son, and they were in great need, for those of you who aren't here? And that morning, we just, just the Holy Spirit was on us, and the, and the Lord gave me a word that we needed to just to put the offering plates up here and for people to come and give sacrificially. And it's a history of this church to do it. And $7,000 was given. Now think about the amount of funds that are sitting in this room right now. And think about selfishness. And think about what God wants to do in our lives to produce something different. But for now, if I'm a selfish person, I walk and deliver bad fruit. Because my heart is all about me. You know, I sing that song. It's all about me, Jesus. Is that how the song goes? It's all about you, Jesus. But a selfish person, is, is your ego is so big, your it is so big, there's no room for Jesus. Because I fill up every corner with self. Sometimes there's no room for somebody else because I'm selfish. And so a selfish heart has no room for Jesus. All about me syndrome takes over and it gets ugly. And you might even be saying, well, what's in it for me? If I do this, what's in it for me? Well, I want to tell you, within the body of Christ, when you do something, it's not about what's in it for you. It's what's in it for the glory of the kingdom of God. It's about Him. It's not about us. But if I'm always thinking of me, then I'm selfish. Hosea 10, 1, 2 says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. Okay, now we're starting to get about me. More altars he built. As the country improved, he improved those pillars. Their heart is false. They were focusing on self. God's kingdom is about serving, not selfishness. You hear me, church? God's kingdom is about what? Jesus himself came as a servant. He came as a humble servant, and he gave his life for us. And he calls us not to walk in selfishness. And thank the Lord many of you don't. But there are times it creeps in. Do you agree? There's times it just wants to crawl in there and have its way. The fourth thing is deceitfulness or deception. Man, the devil loves to use this one. He is a liar. John 8:44 from the amplified says speaking of the devil you are of your father the devil Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees and it is your will to practice the lusts and gratify the desires which are characteristic of your father they say our father was Abraham <laughs> listen to this he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a falsehood, he speaks what is natural to him, for he is a liar himself and the father of lies and of all that is false. He is a deceitful liar, the devil. The moment you start having thoughts that says, I'm not worthy, I am less than, how could God love me? And on and on and on and on. That is deception because it is of the devil. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are carved in the palm of your hand, as his hand and nothing can snatch you away from there. You belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the devil is under your feet and start stepping on him and stop listening to him. 
If the church would rise up and recognize the enemy we face, you talk about lifting the hands in the battle, this is the time. For it's not flesh and blood that we fight, but principalities and powers and wickedness and darkness in high places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you can make your stand against the deception of the devil. He is a liar. That's a great song, by the way. He is a liar because he is. But I want to tell you, if I walk in that same deception, then I become a liar too. Liars. Lying is one thing April and I have talked about for years. There's certain things that push my hot buttons that I get upset about. There's certain things that push April's hot buttons, and one is lying. Don't lie to me. Somebody else like that? Okay. Don't lie to me. Don't don't lie. But people, you know, let's let's face it, folks. There are times we lie. We say, "Oh, it's just a little white lie." Well, where did that come from? It's just just a little lie. Does it, 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 it doesn't mean anything? I don't know, but I think a lie is a lie. Do you agree? Deception is deception. Do you agree? So we have to be careful. The fifth one is corruptness. I looked this one up in the dictionary. I was looking through some passages, and I couldn't really... I mean, it talks about it, but it's sort of in a roundabout way. But, but in the dictionary, it said this uh, in the Oxford, that it's uh, corruptness means rotten, depraved, wicked, dishonest, influenced, using bribery. And then it said, often the government in brackets. <laughs> okay. I wonder what the people in Oxford were thinking. They told us. It's at the very core when a heart is corrupt. It is a root that produces bad fruit. Matthew seven seventeen. Jesus again said, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. It is corrupt. We have a perfect story of this. I was praying. I said, Lord, what is a story that speaks of corruption? Right away, Acts chapter 4. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are swept up in the new movement of the church. Great things are happening. People are flocking. People are getting saved. People are selling everything they have. They're doing self, selfless acts, and they're, they're putting all the money at the feet of the, the apostles. And then they're taking the money, the apostles, and they're distributing it according to the needs. Ananias and Sapphira own property. And so they decide they want to join this movement, and so they sell their property. But in their discussion, they say, we're going to keep some of the money. But we won't tell anybody that we've kept back some of the money for ourselves. And so they took the money, and they laid it out. And Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Notice right away, two things he talks about. Why has who filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling the money, it was yours to give away. Now, how could you do a thing like this? You were lying. Not to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, ouch, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. No kidding. No kidding. Now, Sapphira comes in, doesn't know this has all happened. Peter tells her, and boom, she's gone. And this hit the church big time. Because God wants to deal with this stuff now. This is so powerful that he does not want us to be a people who live or operate with any form of dishonest scales or corruption. Ever. Never. My brother-in-law, Wayne, he's, he, he passed away. He had an uh, aneurysm, right? No, blood clot? Blood clot? And um, I talked often to Wayne about the Lord. But one of the things that Wayne always talked about was what he got away with, with corruption. How he'd ripped this person off or that person off. 
And I say, you shouldn't do that. He goes, that doesn't matter. They got the money. You see, corruption has all kinds of forms. And the Lord does not want us to be a corrupt people. He wants to deal with our hearts in any way, shape, or form around this. And the last thing is the biggest one of all, the flesh. The flesh. Oh, yeah, that part of us. And uh, it manifests all kinds of things in our heart, bearing bad fruit. That sinful nature takes over. And if I start to embrace it, well, Scripture's pretty clear. Some things start to happen. And we're seeing this more and more in society. And we're seeing it in the church. It's creeping into the church in different forms, has. Matter of fact, just now the Pope has been in Ireland. And the Irish people are very upset because they're waiting for the Pope to apologize to what happened to all the young people that were molested by the priests and it was never dealt with. And so there are many people there who are upset about this whole thing. And it manifests, if you continue, if I continue with my heart not being right before God in these things, and the flesh starts to take over, that's what Paul starts to talk about in Galatians towards the end of his message to them. And uh, we will have verses 19 to 21 up on the screen, but I want to read the first part so you understand what Paul's talking about. And then it'll lead us into this. He said, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not, say will not, yeah, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You will not gratify the, the desires of the sinful nature if you're going to walk by the Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. For the sinful nature desires, say desire. Yeah, desire. Say it like, oh, I want it. Desires. Yeah. Have you ever desired something? Oh, man. It's like, it's like when you, you, you can't eat sweets and you're standing in front of a donut store or someplace like that. Like, especially in Holland. When I was in Holland, uh, they loved their sweets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the only reason I know that, we grew up with lots of Dutch, and they always had sweets. And I didn't mind it at all. It was awesome. But I, I remember going over there, and we were in Amsterdam, and we were at this store, and it was just loaded with sweets. And I thought, oh, my blood sugar is not where it should be. I don't have diabetes, but I have uh, high triglycerides, which is like that. And so um, my triglycerides would have been going all through my whole body. You know, if I'd eaten that stuff. So I'm just standing there looking. I go, oh, I would love to eat that. I desire. Oh, that's such a good. That's not a bad thing, but it's not always good for you. Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And so the flesh, he says, is a problem. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature they are conflict. It's a battle with each other so that you, speaking of us, do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says this, and now we have this on the screen. He says this, the acts of the sinful nature are what? Are obvious. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. In other words, what we do will be seen. And Paul's saying, these things are so obvious, how can you miss it? And he starts right away with the area of sex, Six, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, debauchery. Now, there's a word we don't use very often. I remember I was speaking at a Baptist church down in Wheatley where I grew up. Now, that was an experience. And some of you prayed for us. You knew about us going. And uh, they got... I don't know where they came. They came up with a write-up in the newspaper about me, about me speaking. And they said, a man full of debauchery in his old life. I said, debauchery? Like, first off, who would read it and go, I think I'm going to go hear what this is because I don't even know what the word is. You know, it's a Google search. Debauchery? And so when April's uh, brother Robert and his wife Connie came and your mom came, and they were reading the article, well, they started to laugh. They thought this was a, it's not funny, but they were just the way, the way it was written. And uh, one of the things that Connie always does, my sister-in-law, when you're leaving, maybe you're like this, she always wants a photo for her records of everybody who's come because they used to run a bed and breakfast, and so they have all these guest book stuff and photos. So, of course, we're ready to leave, and she's got the camera. She says, okay, everybody say, debauchery. Well, I don't think Paul meant it quite like that. So, 
Because debauchery has to do with this sensual habits being fulfilled. So the first three things he talks about is the obvious stuff of the sexual immorality. Then he goes on from there and he switches and he says idolatry, where we idolize something, witchcraft. As a matter of fact, um, anything you might watch these days that, that uh, uh, kids' cartoons, I've noticed, are full of witchcraft. Um, there's more and more movies coming out. It's just, you see, we have to see the obvious. That's why Paul said this. These things aren't hidden. They're obviously in front of us. If you're involved in it, it's obvious. Hatred. So we say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm okay on the sexual stuff. I'm not into debauchery. I don't do idolatry. I don't do witchcraft. But hatred, have you ever hated anybody? Discord. And that song that we sang, Mark. Where's Mark? That, that song we sang, what's the name of that one, the last one? Make us one. Now, when I read this and I see discord, does that mean one? No. And so in the body of Christ, we have been famous for our discord. And those things are obvious. Jealousy, fits of rage. Oh, my goodness. How are you doing at the roundabouts these days? I've seen fits of rage at the roundabouts on iron needles. And sometimes a Hawaiian wave comes my way. Mm-hmm. My goodness, fits of rage. Selfish ambition, there it is again. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, he could go on and on. Then he says these words... And this is the home run, as it were. I warn you as I did before. So this isn't the first time he's addressing this. And believe me, folks, God will continue to address it in our lives as long as he has to until we change. He said that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I will not inherit the kingdom of God if I continue or I live in this lifestyle because I'm fulfilling the lusts of the flesh the desires of the flesh. And that comes from the heart. My desires come from my heart. So as much as I desired those sweets, you can desire the wrong things. And God wants to deal with the depth of our hearts. So what do I do regarding my heart? If I have these or other bad roots, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about it? Because you're sitting here and you say, well, you know, that happens in my life, or that has happened in my life, or I have some bitterness, or whatever. I'm dealing with something in my heart. What am I supposed to do about it? Well, I want to tell you the first thing you need to do is acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge what's going on. And that takes trust and faith, doesn't it? That you acknowledge what's going on, and you think somehow it might show, show a point of weakness in you, but it's not. It's a strength. To acknowledge where I am weak is actually a strength. To acknowledge where, okay, what was the passage that we heard from Jason? What, what was the passage you read? What was that story about? Moses. Now Moses was there all day in the heat on the top of a hill holding up a staff. How many of you can hold up your hands for a long, long time? All right? You know, when we put up our hands, we're praising the Lord, and sometimes after a while you go, well, maybe I want it to stop. My arm's getting tired. So in the heat of the day, his arms are being lifted up. In the heat of the day, his arms are being lifted up. He acknowledged his weakness. I can't keep my arms up, and when they go down, we're losing the battle. So Aaron and her, who we should really be thanking the Lord for, Aaron and her lift up his arms. Like, what? Did you, could you imagine standing for hours holding up somebody's arm? And they didn't even use deodorant. I mean, seriously. They're holding up his arms in the heat of the day. So he's sitting on a rock. At least they got him a rock. Moses is sitting there. So they're standing beside each holding up his arms. Would you get tired? After a while, you would say, what's the point? But they knew that in the moment of the weakness, Joshua would start losing the battle. And so when you and I walk in our weakness and we stay there, we're losing the battle. But when we acknowledge it, then the battle starts to change. 
things start to turn around. Because not only do we acknowledge it, then we confess that it even exists. And once I confess that it exists, then I need to repent of it. If, I'm har- if I have bitterness in my heart, if I have judgment and unforgiveness, I need to acknowledge that. I need to repent of it as I confess, a, I confess and I repent, Lord, this is in my heart. You know it's in my heart. If I need to go to somebody like I did to April this morning, that's what I need to do. That's what you need to do. And that's what God calls us to do. I need to walk that out. And, and the hardest thing sometimes for me in those moments or you might be to forgive. But God says, I've forgiven you. Ask him for that forgiveness. Ask him to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit, to change your heart, to take those bad roots and see them removed. In the last uh, five minutes that I have, um, I want to tell you that when I first became a believer, now if you're sitting here as a Christian and you think you got it together, I'm going to tell you, you don't. You don't. I don't. The only one who has it together, his name is Jesus. Even as a Christian, you can be walking around with bondages. Even as a Christian, you can be walking around carrying baggage that God's never called you to carry. Doesn't mean you don't love the Lord. Doesn't mean you're not following the Lord. But there's stuff in your background or stuff in your life you've never dealt with. That's why we do set free, for example. So April and I, new Christians, brand new believers, filled with the Holy Spirit. A wonderful man and his wife counseling us and trying to help us. As new believers, we were, I was particularly really messed up. And, and I'll never forget when Pastor Bob said to us, um, I, I know this man who's a, and I may have told you this, but it fits, he's, he's, a, he's a British vicar. You know what a vicar is? A vicar. Nobody knows? He's a pastor, Anglican. They often call him a vicar. It's a British vicar. I don't know where it came from, vicar. And uh, so, so we said, okay, why should we see him? He says, because he has a great ability to help people get free. And we said, okay. He says, but this is what is required of you. You need to take between now and you see him, it'll be one week. You need to pray and ask God to reveal everything in your life that's in your heart that shouldn't be there. And we said, oh, okay. We fought all week, April and I, like cats and dogs. I mean, we just went at each other because I'd be writing out my list. I'd go, hey, I got a full page. You got half a page. You should have three pages, and I should have half a page. I mean, we just were ridiculously fighting. Not that any of you understand fighting, but you know what I mean. And so we're going at it because we didn't realize that God was surfacing the poison in our lives, the roots of the poison in our hearts and the things that we've been carrying. So so we went to see the, the little British vicar in London. And uh, he was. He was just a little man, about yay tall. He was very prim and proper and talked like this. And he said, hello, so glad you're here today. Would you like a bit of tea where we sit down and talk? And we're like, I was expecting, hey, oh, let's get you set free, you know, kind of thing. But it wasn't like that at all. So we went in there and we sat down. And he started to hear our stories. Didn't take any notes. Just sat there quietly and listened. And he finally said, you know, I've heard this kind of stuff before. Many people who are Christians think they're free and they're not because they hold stuff in their hearts and they're not willing to let it go. And we're both sitting there, okay, okay, we're new Christians. Yeah, what, do, what do we do? What do we do? And uh, so he said, well, first I'm going to deal with your family history because it's the root of the family that creates the most problems. It's the root of your generations that create the most problems. The moment you say, I'll never be like my mom or dad, guess who you become? Like your mom or dad. And there's some good things in that, and there's some bad things in that. There's stuff that you do that just carries on. I carried on drinking. My father was an alcoholic. My brothers all drank. And so there was stuff in my life, and that's just a small part, and there was stuff in my life. And so he started to deal with our family history. He started with April. And I watched. He said, you just watch. So I watched. And I saw April just just melt under the gentleness of the Holy Spirit of this quiet man. And just in that moment, God started to set her free from so much pain and sorrow. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't know all this stuff was happening in her. And then he turns to me and I'm like, oh, no. But thankfully, he wanted a spot of tea for a moment. So we had a spot of tea. 
And after we had the spot of tea, then he says, my turn. So he worked for the, the whole morning. We were there for four or five hours, first thing in the morning, maybe four hours. And, and he just worked on us and our whole family thing. And I want to tell you, there's generational stuff in us that needs to be broken because it's settled in our hearts and it creates problems. And so after that, he said, now we'll deal with the other stuff. And he started to deal with things we got involved in, from drugs to rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, the whole nine yards, everything we were involved in, sexual stuff, everything. And he was looking at our lists now, and he was seeing those things, and he was grouping them together. He says, yeah, this is one demon. This is another demon. This is another deception. This is another lie of the enemy. This is another destructive force of the devil. He knew exactly where it came from. You see, we're afraid to address where it really comes from. And so as he began to work on us, and I sat in this, now we're sitting in two chairs. He's sitting across from us. They're soft chairs. I still remember the room exactly the way it was laid out. Beautiful kind of uh, room with oak and so on. It's just like you pictured in old English almost. And, and April's sitting there, and there's a window behind me. And he started to pray for April about something. I don't remember what it was, honey, but he started to pray for you. And I saw with my own eyes something come out of her and go out the window behind me. I ducked. I literally ducked as I saw this coming out. And he was saying, in the name of Jesus, you do not belong here. You go to the place that God has created for you. In Jesus' name, go. And he did that, and that came out of April. And I ducked. And he looked at me and says, oh, don't worry. It can't hurt you. And then he turned back to April. It was just he was so calm. And I'm like, Ugh. like, seriously. And then he comes to me, and he says, he says, Robert, he says, um, You've been very involved in the rock and roll. And I said, yes. He says, hmm. And then he was listing all the things that were connected to it, and there were a lot. And I said, yep, yep, gods. These are gods in my life. Drums were gods in my life. Music was a god in my life. These things were gods in my life. And he was starting to list all these. And now he said, I'm going to pray for you. And he started to pray for me, and he was teaching me how to confess and how to repent and how to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to fill those voids. And I was starting to do that. And when he came to rock and roll, when he came to the root of that in my life, it literally physically threw me out of that chair. And I, next thing I know, I'm on the floor. I kid you not. And it was deep in my heart, and the Lord pulled it out. And when he pulled it out, it violently shook me, like it talks about in Scripture, and I ended up on the floor. And I sat up for a moment, and he said, all right, now get up and let's finish. Like nothing. Like it was normal. But you see, he understood what can happen in our hearts, and God can set us free. And he said this at the end, and I'll wrap up with this. He said this. He said, what I've done today is taught you how to pray through these things so that when these things want to land in your heart again, picture an octopus with all its tentacles. And I, when we prayed, the Holy Spirit ripped these out of your heart, out of your life. But the tentacles, some of them still remain, and they want to start growing. It's, it's up to you to walk this out now. And you see, we have a freedom in Christ that we choose to either follow in Him and have a heart after Him, or we choose to go the other way. It's our choice. And remember Joshua's, for me and my house, we will what? So he made a choice. What kind of choice are you going to make today about your heart? Let's stand together as the worship team comes. Oh, Father, May we come before you as David did. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Father, that is our prayer. That is our prayer. What is in your heart today? What kind of things does the Lord want to deal with in your heart today? Heavenly Father, continue to reveal right now, Holy Spirit can reveal, reveal right now those things that are in our hearts that you want to deal with right now today. If you are harboring bitterness, unforgiveness, judgment, dissensions, deceit, corruption, 
anger. Remember what Paul said. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. What is obvious in your life that you're aware of? And what is the Lord speaking to you about right now? The thing we have to do is ask Him. So I'm going to put my hands out like this. If you want to do it, you can. It's an act of surrender. And the prayer of my heart is, Lord, show me if there's anything in my heart that is not pleasing to you. There are still some bad roots that you want to tear out. I'm open. Do in me as you please. I am your son. You are my father. And every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights. Thank you, Father, that you love us enough not to leave us the way we are. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about right now? And it's not a weakness to say, I need prayer for this. It's a strength. Because it's the first step of seeing that part of your heart change. To dig out that bad root that produces bad fruit. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.